This morning I'll be reading Romans 1, 20 through 23. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being made understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. The world tries to press us into its mold and conform us to its ways. But God calls us to be holy, to be different. Being different means letting God transform every area of your life. Are you ready to be different? We are starting a new sermon series this morning called Be Different. And as we do for most of our sermon series, we have Discovery Bible Study bookmarks out in the lobby. We also have this as a PDF on our website. This is a great little resource, a great little tool to use for personal Bible study, or even better yet, to invite others into a time of opening up God's Word together. There's some questions on here. The text for this sermon series will be there, but you can use any biblical text. But this allows you to go through and kind of track with the sermons, study the Bible on your own, or study it with other people. I would encourage you to pick one of those up and to use it. Also, let me say, next Sunday, we have a guest speaker. Dr. Jeremy Beller will be here. He is the new chair of the Bible Department at Oklahoma Christian. Many of us know Jeremy. He's been at the Wilshire Congregation for a long time. He's adjuncted at OC and I think at OCA. His family is very involved at Oklahoma Christian Academy. He's going to be here. He's going to speak in this series on a different mindset. I'm excited about uh, Jeremy at OC and the things that he's already doing and the plans that he has and I know that you'll want to be here for that. John DeSteiger will be teaching a special youth class and we're going to have a kind of a OC emphasis day especially for our youth group. I think John will say more about that at the end of our service today but we invite everyone to be a part of that activity next Sunday the 29th of January. Here we are January is almost over. It's going fast. It always does, right? The older you get, the faster it goes. I've heard that, and now I'm living it, so I I know that's the case. If you have a Bible, look at Romans chapter 1. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 1. That will be our primary text today. A difficult text, but an important text for all of us trying to live as disciples who make disciples in this world. Romans chapter 1 will be our text today. Carrie Ann and I like to walk for exercise. I have discovered that that's what people who who used to play sports do to move now Uh, after four knee surgeries I've uh, I've been told I can't really play active sports anymore so I get to do like all the old people and walk that's exciting Woo, walk but when it's really cold outside we go to a local gym and they have one of those tiny indoor tracks and we just go in there and make circles till we get dizzy and so that's that's what we do but uh, when you go onto this little indoor track, you can't miss this sign that's posted there. It has a big arrow either pointing left or right, and it says, today's track direction. And it's understood that anybody who walks or jogs on that track is supposed to go the same way. You're supposed to move with the traffic, right? And so that's what we did. We got on the track and we moved like everyone else was moving who was walking or jogging or crawling or whatever they were doing. But I, I got to tell you, there was a part of me that wanted to do a little social experiment. <laughs> and when I say things like that, it always makes my wife nervous. Like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. But I would love just to, just to stop 
and, and plant my foot and pivot and just turn around and go the other direction and see what happens. I would love to do that. You know what would happen, don't you? Well, first of all, I might run into someone. That's very likely I would plow someone over if one of us didn't move. But you know the looks I would get if I did that? Can you imagine as I walked by, people would be like, oh, some people, right? They would shake their head like, didn't you see the sign? They might even say something. You know, you probably one or two Depending on the people, they probably wouldn't say something. They would just shake their head and think, what a loser, right? But you know there'd be someone. There'd be someone who would actually, I need to say, I need to correct this. I need to set this person straight. And they would say something. And that'd be fine. But you know that's what would happen. When we go the opposite direction, when we go against the flow, it causes all kinds of chaos. But here's the thing that we all know. Our world is wired for conformity, isn't it? Our world is wired for conformity. We are supposed to go in the same direction. It is acceptable. It is expected to think like the world thinks, to have the same values the world has, to process things and make decisions based on the things that are important to the world. Don't step out of line. Certainly don't plant your foot, pivot, and turn and go the opposite direction because it will cause all kinds of chaos. And yet as followers of Jesus, Jesus, the one who often went against the grain, the one who often turned and went the other direction, as followers of Jesus, God's call on our lives is to do just that, to be different. Our theme verse for this series is Romans 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that passage. It's so straightforward, and it's so relevant for us today, isn't it? Don't let the world fit you into its mold. Be different. Be different by being transformed. That's what transformed is, different, changed. Be changed, be different by the renewing of your mind. See, here's the truth. You are either conformed or you are being transformed, right? I mean, that's, that's the truth. Either you are going the direction the arrow is pointing along with everyone else around you, or you're saying, no, I'm going to live a different way. Now, I'm not going to live according to the values, the ways, the earthly wisdom of the world. I am going to allow God to transform me more and more into the image of his son. And for most of us, it's probably not so simple. It's probably, probably more nuanced than that because if we're honest, probably there are certain parts of our lives when we feel like I am going against the flow. I am trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to honor God. I'm trying to follow the word of God in this area of my life or in this relationship or in this part this aspect, I am really going against what is normal, what is acceptable, what people expect of me in the world. But what about those other areas? Are there some parts of your life that if you're honest with yourself, they really do conform? They conform to the ways of the world? I I think this series will be incredibly relevant You see, because that's what we're going to address, this idea of being different, of not being 
pressed into the mold of the world, but standing out. And not just being different for the sake of being different, not being different to call attention to ourselves as though we are special, and certainly not different in the sense that we are somehow better than other people. But God calls us to be different, to be holy, to be set apart. That's what that word means. What does that mean for our lives? That's what we're going to explore in this series. Having a different mindset, having a different perspective, a different posture, a different pace of life. We're going to unpack some of those important topics that are so relevant for our lives. But not only will this series, I think, be relevant, it will be challenging. And it will call on us to be honest with ourselves, to truly examine every part of our lives and ask ourselves, are we conforming or are we being transformed in this area? Today, as we begin, we're going to talk about something that is foundational to all of these other things we'll be talking about something that is formative. The subtitle for this series is Making Transformative Moves. So that that involves a dynamic process of changing, of being changed by God. And this move today is certainly at the most basic level foundational to shape all of the other transformative moves that, that we will make and that God will work in us to bring about transformation. And it has to do with the object of your heart's affection. What is the most important thing in your life? Who do you bow down to? And of course, before you say, well, it's, it's God, it's God. Let's think about what that means in practical terms for our lives. Let me ask you, when was the, when was the last time that you got, you got uh, duped or deceived or tricked or lied to or scammed? Have you tried to uh, help out any Nigerian princes lately, been asked to do that through email, or maybe you won a contest that you didn't even know you entered, right? I know of a guy who got a scam email, and he decided, I think it was a text actually, he decided to play along, to enjoy it, to have a little fun. And so the text came through to his phone, and it says, you have won this absurd amount of money. I can't remember what it was. You've won this money And all you have to do to claim your prize, all of these thousands of dollars, all you have to do is send us $500 for a delivery fee for your money. And we'll send you all the money. Oh, thousands of dollars for five, that's a good deal, right? Well, clearly he saw this was a scam and instead of just ignoring it or deleting it, which is what most of us do, he decided to lean into it, have a little fun. And so he began to ask questions, and they began to go back and forth, and this thing dragged out for quite some time. And this guy, he wanted to know, I need to know before I send you $500 if this account is legitimate. So why don't you send me some money through that same account, and then I'll know it's real, and then I can send you the money. And of course, the scammer's like, no, that's not going to happen. So they went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally, by the end of, I don't know how many weeks this was, the scammer actually sent him $2. (laughs) He managed to get this scammer to send him $2. And after he got his $2, he came clean. (laughs) And he told the guy that he was scamming him. And of course, the scammer became the scammee, and he was not happy at all. 
He was not happy about that. We all know what it's like to try to be scammed, and some of us probably know what it's like to actually be scammed, to be fooled, to be deceived. Listen, Satan is the greatest scammer of all times. John tells us in John chapter 8 that he is the father of lies, that when he opens his mouth, his native language is deceit and lying. Satan wants to scam you. That's who he is. That's what he does. And it's deceit. It is deceit that starts people down a path away from God. And that's exactly what Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. That's the picture he is painting. He explains that we were created by God to worship God, to have our primary allegiance to God, to seek Him, to submit to Him. And when we don't do that, it means we have been scammed, we've been fooled, we have believed a lie. And so look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18. As Paul paints this picture of how we get scammed and then what that leads to. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. There's one of those phrases you might circle if you're a Bible marker. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. It's important to understand the broader context of Paul's teaching here. In the broader context, Paul is making a case for the need of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And he starts with the Jews and he says, for the Jews, you are the covenant people of God. You are Israel. And God has has continually revealed himself and revealed his will to you. I mean, read your Old Testament. God continually communicated to his people. They have no reason to reject God, as some of us talked about in our Bible classes this morning. But then he goes on to the Gentiles. You don't have an excuse either. You're not off the hook either. No, you weren't God's original covenant people. But look around. God has revealed himself through his creation you can see God. You can see God's fingerprints. You can see the handiwork of God everywhere around you. Have you ever been on a mountaintop or at a beach or watching a sunset or just observing the intricacies of nature and think, oh, of course there's a God. Of course there's a God. Of course someone designed this. Have you ever studied biology or anatomy and said, of course of course this isn't random. Of course there's a God. That's called natural revelation. And Paul says, that's what you have. God has revealed himself to you. Creation bears witness to the creator. You see, the truth is, you were created, you were created by God to know and love and worship God. And anything else that you or I choose to do, Anytime we choose to go a different direction, it's because we have been scammed. We have believed a lie. To ignore God is to believe a lie. So Paul continues to paint this picture. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served creative things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Did you see that phrase there? They traded the truth. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Paul is looking around and taking in the the culture, the society, the world around him. And what he is describing is the same thing that happens today, isn't it? People trading the genuine, real God for a phony imitation of God, for a phony version of God. We see it all the time. That word exchanged is used three different times. Verse 23, verse 25, verse 26. They had what they needed with God. God was with them. They had the truth. They had the word of God, the presence of God. They had everything they needed, and they did what? They exchanged it for something they thought was better. They exchanged it for a different version of what they would call their God. Something that was more appealing, more satisfying, probably something that that appealed to the self, the selfish nature that we have. Did you happen to exchange any gifts from Christmas this year, this past year? You probably did. It's always a hassle, right? Why did you exchange some of those gifts? Well, it was the wrong size. Right? It didn't fit. I need a different size. It was the wrong color. I already have 12 Echo Dots. I don't need another one. It just didn't work out. You weren't satisfied with it. You thought you could get something better. So what did you do? You sent it back or you went back to the store. You, you asked the person who gave it to you, hey, do you happen to have a gift receipt for that? Which is always kind of awkward. See, that's the nature of exchanging. What you're saying is this doesn't fit me. So I'm going to exchange it for something I think will fit me better, something I think I can like more. And Paul says they began to exchange the glory of God the creator for things that that they made with their own hands idols and gods and statues that reflected them you see the irony there rather than worshiping and reflecting the creator they created things that reflected themselves and worship those things. And they worship things that represented reptiles and animals and, and all of these other things that somehow in their minds they thought were better than worshiping and submitting to God. How does that happen? When you explain it like that, it doesn't make sense, right? Why would anyone change the glory of God? Why would you exchange it? Why would you trade that? Why would you give that up? to be in the presence of God, at the center of the will of God, why would you exchange that for something man-made, worldly, something that is temporary, something that is so far inferior? Well, he tells us, we got scammed. We believed a lie. We were deceived. Verse 21 and 22, their thinking became futile. Their hearts, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, They became like fools. You see, they thought 
they were enlightened. They thought they had this higher level of thinking. And what he says is their thinking became futile. It was just spinning its wheels. It wasn't going in any direction. They became foolish. Do you remember in the garden? The talking serpent shows up. And what did Satan, who, remember, is the father of all lies, what did he use as his weapon of choice? It wasn't a, a piece of fruit. It wasn't the proverbial apple. It was a lie. It was deception. Do you remember what he told the woman? You, will, you won't die. You won't die if you eat this fruit. In fact, you will be like God. And later when God talks to Eve about this, what does she say about the serpent? He did what? He deceived me. He tricked me. He scammed me. You see, they got confused. Their thinking became futile. Satan knew that he could appeal to something that to them was worth exchanging what they had with God, this perfect, intimate relationship with their creator. Satan appealed to the prideful self. You can be at the same level as God. You can be just like God. And they gave in to that lie. What about the famous story of the Israelites waiting at the mountain for Moses to come down? After God has delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, now they're waiting to hear from God, and God is speaking to Moses on behalf of the people. The people are waiting for Moses. He doesn't come down. He doesn't come down. They get impatient. What do they do? They take their valuables. Probably the very things God had intended for them to start a new economy in a new home, and they throw them in the pot, melt them down to make what? A golden calf, an idol. It's interesting that there was a song written about them. You can find it in Psalm 106, verse 20. Look at this. They exchanged their glorious God for an image of a bull which eats grass. I don't know the tune to that song, and you certainly don't want me to try to sing it, but I think the lyrics are very interesting. There's that same word there, they exchanged. They exchanged their glorious God, everything that they needed, everything in life that is life, they had it right there. And they said, no, that doesn't fit. No, we don't want that. We think we can find something better. So they go to this statue, as the psalm says, this image of a bull, which, by the way, eats grass. <laughs> the detail in the language there is meant for us to see the contrast between the glory of God and an image of an animal that eats lowly grass. By the way, a bull was one of the idols of the Egyptians. And they come out of Egypt by the hand of God, the provision and protection and leadership of God. And as they're waiting on God, a word from God, what do they do? They revert back to the gods of the people from which God has delivered them. You say, well, why in the world would they do that? That doesn't make sense. Look at Genesis 32, verse 4. 
He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the image of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods. Some versions say, or this is your God, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. You say, how could they trade the glory of God for an image of a, of a calf, of an animal? Because they believed a lie. These are your gods. This is your God who brought you out of Egypt. This thing? No, that's not true. God, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the God of the universe, he's the one that brought you out of Egypt. Nothing represented by this golden idol had anything to do with it. In fact, it represents everything that God was delivering you from. You see, it's a lie. Deceit leads to distorted thinking. And distorted thinking darkens our hearts toward God. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. That's what we see unfolding in the world around us. And here's the tricky part. Many scams, you know this, those emails you get, those texts, many of those scams have just enough truth in them to make it plausible, right? To make it believable. They include some personal details, maybe even some actual names, maybe a story that sounds somewhat believable. And then once you decide to go with it, once you decide, okay, this is legitimate, then everything else you hear and see feeds into that narrative, that confirmation bias. It shapes the way you act. Your thinking shapes the way you act. And in that case, you say, well, this, this looks like it's real. I got to do something. I have to act. I have to do something. As someone once said, the problem with deception is that we don't know we're being deceived. Nothing you decide to do, even when you decide to do something spontaneous, nothing you decide to do doesn't first go through your mind. Maybe it's quick, maybe it's impulsive, but it goes through your mind. It starts there with your thinking. Our thinking shapes our behaviors. N.T. Wright said this, evil is what you get when the mind is twisted, when it's twisted out of shape and the body goes along for the ride. He says evil is what you get when the mind is twisted out of shape and the body goes along for the ride. When you believe a lie about God, about life, about yourself, about what you're here for, about meaning and purpose in life, then your thinking gets twisted and your body goes with it. And as Paul continues to write in Romans 1, he paints this picture, the rest of the picture. He says, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when we believe a lie and we trade the glory of God for something inferior, something we think will fit better, something we think makes more sense. Keep reading in Romans 1, verse 26. It's kind of a long reading, but it's an important reading, so we need to take the time to read it. He says, because of this, because of this, this, these foolish hearts, this distorted thinking, believing the lie, because of all of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
Furthermore, he writes, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. There's that phrase again. God gave them over. He let them go down the road. They insisted on going to a depraved mind so that they do what ought, what they ought not to do or what not ought to be done. Verse 29. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do those things, those very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, maybe it's been a while since you've read that passage, or maybe if you're honest, you say, I've never seen that with my own eyes. That's why we need to see it. Remember the purpose. Paul says, here's what happens. Here's what it looks like when our bodies follow our minds and our minds are believing a lie, when our minds are being scammed and deceived into thinking that there is somehow something in this world that is better than following God. By the way, just as a side note, we often really focus our attention here on the homosexual behaviors that are mentioned. But please notice, in the same breath, he mentions things like gossip, greed, arrogance, and being boastful. This description, depraved and dark, is not the picture of a godless society, though. That's how we might describe it. You read that whole description, you think, man, that is a godless society. It wasn't. Not in the small g word, godless. There were objects of their heart's affections here. But it wasn't Yahweh God. It wasn't the God of the universe. They had exchanged him for their own version of deity that was rooted in self and that reflected self. And as the text says, God gave them over He let them go. He didn't force them. They chose stubbornly to go down that road, and he said, okay, keep going. You want to follow the arrow that points to the way of the world? I'm not going to stop you. I give you freedom of choice. Why are idols so deadly? Because they deceive us. Because they distort our thinking. And ultimately, they will destroy us because they move us away from God. And I say that as though it's a passive thing. They move us. To remember, we make that choice. God gives us that choice. He doesn't force us. We move away from God. We exchange God for something we think is better or more enlightened. Speaking of enlightened, I've mentioned this before, about 30 years ago, I got to, um, to go on a mission trip to Singapore. What a great opportunity that was. I would love to go back sometime. Just a fascinating place. But as we took in the local culture, one of the things we did is we went to a, a Buddhist temple. And in this Buddhist temple is what is called the Reclining Buddha. And this isn't just a, a, you know, a little statue on top of a table. This isn't even one that you can walk up to. This is a 108-foot-long gold-plated statue of what is believed to be the historical Buddha as he was dying. 
the reclining Buddha. I don't know if you can tell by the picture, kind of a frame of reference with some tables and some things in front there. You can see how, how big this is. And so people would, would go up and they would leave dishes and bowls of, of food that was presumably some of his favorite dishes and food. And they would leave incense and it was their way of offering gifts. It was their way of revering the Buddha. I remember thinking, man, this is, this is so different. This culture, this religion, it's so different than what I'm accustomed to. It's so very different. What's interesting is the word Buddha means enlightenment. What do you think of when you think about enlightenment or being enlightened? You think about having a special level of knowledge, right? I mean, everyone else is kind of talking on this level, but those who are enlightened kind of talk on this level, and they think on this level. The irony there of revering, possibly worshiping, something that is presumably enlightened, and yet Scripture says that thinking is so distorted. It's not enlightened thinking at all. It's just the opposite. In our world today, at least in our Western world, at least probably here, our idols aren't typically gold statues or golden calves or stone-carved images. Our idols are more advanced, more evolved, more mainstream, sometimes more subtle, but always socially acceptable. But I wonder, what if our idols were made into 108-foot statues for everyone to see, what would it look like if power and influence, if fame and fortune, sex and pleasure, physical appearance, things like material possessions and careers, even things more subtle, more invisible things like this endless desire to be approved and liked and accepted, or this desire and this need to be in control or to have power? or some other way of distorted thinking? What if it was made into some kind of massive statue for everyone to see? Now you say, that's ridiculous. I certainly wouldn't go up to it and offer gifts to it. That doesn't make any sense. And yet, I wonder if we don't live that way. Daily making offerings to our idols that we set up, idols that we build, we construct, that many of them, as Paul says about the Romans, reflect ourselves. Idols that are made in our image. Don't some of our decisions reflect that we are making offerings to that idol? Don't some of our words and choices and relationships bear witness to our allegiance and our worship of the idols of this world, the thinking of this world? We're talking about making transformative moves. That's the subtitle for this series. So what's the, what's the move? What's the transformative move we need to make? Well, it's pretty simple. Simply said, much more difficult to do. It is to move from idol worship to God worship. To move from idolatry to yielding our lives and submitting to God, to God alone. How do you do that? Well, Paul says it starts right here with how you think, and it starts with right here with your heart. 
Don't believe a lie. Stop believing the lies Satan tells you about who you are or who God is or what life is all about or what you think you deserve or what you think you need. It starts with examining your thinking. What if you could do a spiritual CT scan, you know, a CAT scan on your brain, but it's a spiritual CAT scan? What would it show? What would it reveal? If you're honest with yourself, is there a chance that there's some distorted thinking up there? Is there a chance that maybe you're believing some lies Satan is telling you and you're acting on those lies? You know, when we get scammed with some of those scams, unfortunately, like the emails and the texts and the contest and all of those things, when you actually get caught up in those, and, and I know some of us have, right? I, I can't believe how they prey on the vulnerable. It just, it just irritates me so much. But if you've ever given in on one of those scams, big or large or small or whatever, you know that you don't really like to talk about it, do you? You don't like to admit it. Like, I can't believe I believe that. I can't believe they got, I can't believe I gave them money. I can't believe I got scammed. We don't like to admit it. It's embarrassing. Satan loves to use shame to keep you from confessing. And I'm not talking about being scammed by an email. Satan loves to use shame to keep you from making a change, to keep you from confessing that you've been believing a lie all your life. That maybe even well-intentioned people in your past reinforced that lie. Shame is a strong force. Transformative moves come when we are willing to accept the truth and stop believing a lie. Transformative moves come when we finally plant our foot and pivot and say, I am no longer going that direction. I'm going to be different. That will cause all kinds of chaos. You're going to bump into some people. Some people are going to talk about you. They're going to point fingers at you. They're going to try to correct you. And God is saying, don't conform. Don't conform. Back to that verse in Romans 12. As we wrap this up, do you remember what he said? Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Some of us need to change the way we think. Some of us need to stop believing the lies that we have believed for so long. Lies that are shaping our lives, our actions, our choices, our behaviors. Take an honest look at your thinking. Where is your heart's affections set? What is your idol? Who is your God? And ask God to renew your thinking, to renew your mind, to renew your heart. And as you ask him, remember that God can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. If we can encourage you this morning, let us do that. We want to let your church family walk with you. In just a moment, we're going to stand. A couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a little room right behind me. You can meet them there. They'll encourage you, pray for you, or you can come down to the front, and we'll do that as a church family. Maybe today you're ready to make that commitment, that life-altering, 
eternal commitment that says, I believe Jesus, and I'm going to live for him. You confess your great faith in him, you're baptized into Christ, and he brings you up as a new creation with a new purpose. If that's the case, don't delay it. Do it today. If we can help you in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand. Take my